Second Corinthians chapter 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, saying that Archai has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Righto, well, this is the third week in a row that I've had to do something that makes me feel rather uncomfortable. Uh, No, I I wasn't required during the week to nurse a newly born child. And no, I didn't have to give somebody a hug. Um, What makes me uncomfortable is when I have to give a message on giving. Um, I said a couple of weeks ago... I'm really reluctant to give a message on giving or tithing because I don't ever want to be seen as, as, you know, that preacher, you know, that bloke who's always after your money. But I'll tell you you what sort of preacher I do want to be. I want to be the sort of preacher who will always teach you what's in God's word and leave nothing out. And that's why we work our way through whole books of the Bible. And that's why the message once again today is going to be on giving because that's what the Bible reading's about, once again, three weeks in a row. Now, I've given today's message the title, Giving in Faith, and to some of you that might seem a bit of a strange title, because the word faith doesn't appear in the whole of chapter 9 a single time. But the way that chapter 9 describes how God provides through the giver, and how God provides for the giver, is all about trusting in God. And what do we call that? Trusting in God. Faith. So Paul's been boasting 
about this Corinthian church. He's been boasting about how generous they are. He's told the Macedonian church all about them. But now I think Paul's feeling just a little bit anxious. He's feeling a little bit worried that he's going to be left looking silly because even though he's told this Macedonian church all about their generosity of the Corinthians, well, even though the Corinthians were very keen to make the commitment to give to support the needy Christians in Jerusalem, they actually hadn't followed it through. And they hadn't kept that commitment. And so he's urging this Corinthian church to get the offering together before he gets there so that he doesn't have to chase them for it when he does get there. All right, now I'm not going to say any more about that. That's pretty much been covered over the last couple of weeks. So that covers the first five verses. And we're going to pick up now at verse six. In today's Bible reading, I really connect with what Paul's saying here. Uh, because he's using an agricultural example a- and I get farming stuff and and some of you will understand farming stuff really well uh, others not so much right so I'm going to explain explain it right from the start so first of all I want to define sowing s-o-w-i-n-g which isn't the same as s-e-w-i-n-g um, it's not a word that gets used that much anymore um, and even when, when I was an instructor back at the Dolby Agriculture, uh, Dolby Ag College back in the day, um, I was surprised when I first started work there that some of the students there who were there to train to be farmers didn't know that sowing was another word for planting. And that's what it is. Sowing, it's got nothing to do with, with a needle and thread. Um, that's not the sort of sowing we're talking about. Sowing we're talking about is planting. And I don't know why really, but when we use the term sowing in farming, usually it's to do with planting wheat or barley. We don't usually talk about sowing sorghum or chickpeas or cotton. We usually talk about planting those things. Um, maybe it's a, a row crop thing. You plant row crops maybe and sow other crops. Right out. Talking about giving, Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, it it, it took, took a while for me to mull over what Paul's saying here. To sow sparingly. Does that mean that, okay, I've got a a thousand hectares of cultivation ready to plant, but I'm only going to plant a hundred hectares of it? Is that what it means to sow sparingly? Or is it talking about sowing rate, talking about how many kilograms of seed per hectare we're going to plant? So if the normal sowing rate was going to be 50 kilograms per hectare, would it mean that I was only going to plant it at five kilograms per hectare. Well, I think it could actually be either or both. But to me, it makes more sense if we're talking about the sowing rate, the amount of seed per area that we're putting on. All right, so let's connect these analogies to giving. Throughout the world, the need to support ministry and the need to support mission and the need to support our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are suffering severe persecution and, and who are living in, in severe poverty 
the need is enormous. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you're probably constantly bombarded uh, with, with, with messages and appeals to, to support this charity or to support that charity or to support this ministry or to support that ministry. And it can all seem a little bit overwhelming, particularly at the end of financial year, when you're coming up to that time of year, all the mission organisations send out their things, give, give, give. And, and if our generosity is the sowing of seed, there's a decision to be made. The need is vast. The need is so vast. It's like having a million hectares of cultivation that you need to plant, but you've only got a little 65 horsepower Messy Ferguson tractor and a 10 foot planter. You're not gonna be able to do it. You know that you can't possibly plant at all. And so in that case, sowing sparingly could mean, well, I've only got the capacity to give to a couple of areas. I'll give to a couple of ministries and, 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 and all of that other donation requests are gonna have to go answered, unanswered or I'm just gonna have to say, sorry, I've given to my capacity. That's what sowing sparingly could be about. But I think this next example is probably what it really is about. So if you think about planting wheat, now for those who aren't farmers at all, wheat is a winter crop, all right? Now, when you're planting wheat, depending on your location of your farm, whether you've got heavy soil that stores a lot of moisture, or whether you've got light soil that stores a little bit of moisture, or whether you've got sandy soil that stores very, very little moisture, or whether you've got a summer-dominant rainfall or a winter-dominant rainfall, or whether it's an irrigated farm or whether it's a dryland farm, or whether you've got a full profile of moisture so that the soil is full as a gook, it just can't hold any more moisture, or whether it's actually reasonably dry and you're going to be totally dependent on rain, the sowing rate can vary quite markedly. Now, when I was a young fella, grew up in the Gundawindi district, and there were a few South Australian families who, who moved up to our area from the Kadena area in South Australia. And the, the South Australians, they were used to planting wheat at around about 70 kilograms per hectare. Uh, but around Gundawindi, we only planted ours around about 28 or 30 kilograms per hectare. Um, of course, back, back in those days, we all talked in pounds per acre, but it's similar, similar. Um, when I started work at the Dolby Ag College, um, so in that district where we were, um, we were planting our wheat there between 40 and 45 kilograms per hectare. But for an irrigated crop, you'd plant it around about 100 kilograms per hectare or even more. And I remember my dad telling me that when the South Australians were gonna plant their first crop in the Gundawindi district, and, and they talked to the locals about planting rates, and, and they realised there's such a big discrepancy, they, they, they had this question on mind, well, well, how are we gonna get the yield if, if you're only planting at half the rate? You see, what they understood is if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, right? So let's, let's use irrigated crops as an example. If an irrigated crop is planted normally at around about 100 to 110 kilos per hectare or whatever, to give us the optimum yield, 
Why don't we plant all of our crops at 100 kilograms per hectare? Why don't we plant dry land wheat at 100 kil kilograms per hectare in light soil in southwestern Queensland? I'll tell you why. It's because it's highly unlikely there's going to be enough moisture to sustain the crop or even to keep it alive. You see, planting rates are all to do with the limitation of resources. Right, so around here, most of our rainfall is summer rainfall. So most of it falls during the summer and we have to manage our fallows to store the moisture up. We'll get a couple of little falls during winter normally, not last year though. And so if we plant at too high of a rate, we start out with all of this moisture there, and we, if we plant at too high of a rate, the crop will go gangbusters, suck all of the moisture out of the soil, and by the time it gets through to tillering, it's, most of the moisture will be gone. And when we need the, the moisture is, is for it flowering and, and it's seed filling, and it's not there to produce the crop. But if we had an irrigated crop, it's very different. With an irrigated crop, there's no limitation to the resource. When it needs water, you can give it water. When it needs nitrogen, you can give it nitrogen. So what would happen if you planted an irrigated crop at only 10 kilograms per hectare, at only you know, 0.1 times what you should be planting it at? Are you going to get a good yield? No. That is sowing sparingly, and so you will reap sparingly. The, the crop won't yield anywhere near its potential. And when, but when the resource is not limited, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And, and this is where Paul's illustration equates to giving. It's about faith. What do we believe about God? If sowing rates, if, if we only lower our sowing rates because we know that resources are limited, and in Australia that's mainly rainfall, what about with our giving? When it comes to giving, if God is the source, if God is the resource of everything that we have, if God is the resource of everything that we need, and if God has promised us that, that he will always, always provide for us what we need and that we will never have less than what we need, can we trust God in that? Of course we can. And so when it comes to giving, we can have every confidence that we can sow bountifully. That means we can give generously. We don't need to hold back because we will always have enough. We will always have what we need. If we have a practice of giving generously, God will provide what we need. And he doesn't only provide us what we need to survive. He provides us with what we need so that we can give again. And so we give and God provides us with what we need and then we can give again. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God gives to the poor. How do you think he does that? He does it through his hands. He does it through his feet. Who are his hands and feet? We are. He gives to the poor through us. But what about if we give so much that we become the poor? Will we be left without? No. God will provide for our needs. God will supply our needs. Well, how will he do that? Through others. So it says here, God loves a cheerful giver. Is there such a thing? Is there such a thing as a cheerful giver? I can see a few nods. Too right there is. You see, when it comes to generosity, it's all about the heart. If God loves a cheerful giver, I'm pretty sure that he's not at all impressed with a reluctant giver. Oh, I suppose I'd better put something in the offering. And I'm pretty sure he's definitely not impressed if we try and make a rule that everybody has to give a certain amount or a certain percentage for that matter. Some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how as disciples of Jesus, we have a readiness to give. Why do we have this readiness to give? It's because we've already given our whole self to God. Everything that I have already belongs to God. It's his anyway. And if generosity isn't part of our character, there is something seriously deficient in our relationship with God. It means I haven't surrendered myself to God. And that's why God loves a cheerful giver. Not only because it's the way of Christ, but because it's, it's evidence of our relationship with God. It's, our, it's evidence of our good relationship with God. We're, We've already given everything to God. Everything that we are, everything that we have, we've already given to God. You see, the way God's grace abounds is he gives us sufficient for what we need and it's sufficient so that we can do good in his name. But how much should I give? People ask me that sometimes. How much should I give? And how do I answer a question like that? I could take them to the Old Testament principle of, of giving a tenth of your gross income back to God. We call that a tithe. Or I could take you to another Old Testament principle of, that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 16 of giving as we are able. But you know what? The New Testament principle is much, much bigger than this. It's much greater. Some people think, oh, tithing is, is the ultimate if I can give a tithe. But the New Testament principle is much greater than a tithe. How much should I give? 
Well, back in chapter 8, we, we learned that it was about having a readiness to give because we've already give everything we had to God. And we give what we have, not what we don't have. And here in verse 7, Paul gives us a very simple answer to the question that we're asking. How much should I give? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's what we should do. How much should I give? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. If the Holy Spirit is in your heart, what's the Holy Spirit telling you to give? See, this is the thing. Inside each of us, we have this ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is telling you, you can't afford to give. Or, you know, you've got your own hopes and you've got your own dreams and you've got to fund those. You've got to save up for these things. Or, or, or don't you really want to spend that on this particular thing? And at the same time, the spirit is saying, it's taking compassion on those who have nothing. And the Holy Spirit's saying, give, give generously. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. The only proviso here is don't do it reluctantly and don't give because somebody's making you give. We have to want to give. God only wants us to give if it's generosity coming from an overflow of the love that we have in our hearts. That's, that's what giving is about. It's not about a rule that we have to keep. It's not about a spiritual right that we have to do. It's about this overflow of love that God's put in our hearts. All right, but what if we genuinely really, really want to give, but we're just not sure if we can afford to? What are we afraid of? Are we afraid that we're not going to have enough to eat? Or are we afraid that we're not going to be able to afford to go on that holiday that we've been planning? Or are we afraid that we're not going to be able to realise that dream that we've been striving for maybe our whole lives, saving up for a farm or saving up to get into a business of some kind or, or, or whatever? Or are we afraid that we're not going to be able to afford a new car when we need it in a couple of years' time when our old one wears out? Or are we afraid that, that when we retire that we're not going to have the nest egg that we've been planning so, so we, can't, we won't, mightn't be able to afford to go and do some of those nice trips that we were planning? What are we afraid of that would make us think that we can't afford to be generous? And for it not just to be a one-off generosity, but for it to be a life of generosity where we are continually being generous over and over again. What are we afraid of? Well, as we're getting into this section of the reading, I think there's, I think I need, need to, to debunk some dreadful teaching that gets regurgitated over and over again. And it's a teaching which actually appeals to our sinful nature. 
It, it's a teaching that, that appeals to, to the greed that we have. And that's the teaching that says, if you give, God will make you rich. Now, some churches will tell you that, you know, if you give, put some money in the plate, God will pay you back tenfold or whatever, the, name the, the fold that, that, that they preach. And, you know, so if you put in $100 into the offering, God will give you back $1,000 over the next few weeks. And, and, and the whole exercise of giving the offering gets, gets presented as some kind of obscene get-rich-quick scheme. What an abomination that is. When this Bible reading here says that, when it says, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, it's not talking about putting some money in the plate so that I can then get rich or, or increase my wealth so that I can buy that flash new car or so that I can go on that extra flash holiday or whatever. It's about how when we give, what we give makes ministry happen. What we give makes mission happen. The word of God gets preached. The homeless are housed. The hungry are fed. That is the bountiful harvest. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But the bountiful harvest doesn't stop there. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what purpose? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Right? This isn't about God increasing our harvest so that we can have more stuff. Now I'm gonna, can we put up a bit of a flow chart there, Jeremy? Where does what we have come from? Looking for an answer. Where does what we have come from? God. God gave it to us. Don't ever be filled with pride and say, well, I've got what I have because I'm such a good businessman. Or I have what I have because I've worked really hard for it. You know, and I'm not going to apologise to anyone because I've worked really hard for this. I deserve this. Really? Australians must be some of the hardest workers in the world. Unfortunately, we're not. Years ago, a friend of mine told me about one of the hardest workers that he'd ever seen. He'd seen these two men, I think it might have been in Indonesia, who would start work at sunrise and work through until sundown. And they would wield sledgehammers to break white rocks down into powder. They would pulverise white rocks into powder to make pigment for white paint. They'd do it from sunup till sundown and in that time they'd earn enough to barely keep their families going. Pretty much a subsistence wage. And we have the arrogance to proclaim that we have so much because we work so hard. There are many people in the world who work much harder than we do. Why do we have what we have? Well, we've been blessed by God. 
Let's be in no doubt about this. We have what we have because God in his mercy provides it for us. So out of what God provides for us, that there's bread for our food, right? So that's what we need. You know, we pray to, pray to the Lord, give us this day what? Everything I need for the next year? No, give us this day our daily bread. That's what we're praying for. And God provides that. He provides us enough for our daily bread, but he provides something else for us as well. And also seed for sowing. All right, our Heavenly Father, He knows what we need. And He gives us more than we need. Why does He do that? So that we have seed to sow and to sow generously. God doesn't give it to us so He can be rich and buy nice stuff. It's so that we can sow bountifully, it's so that we can be generous. And if once again, in the grace of God, God gives us even more. It's not, once again, it's not so that we can spend that on ourselves with a nice, lavish lifestyle. He's increasing our seed stock. And once again, we don't keep the seed for ourselves just in case God doesn't provide the seed next time. He's increasing our seed stock so we can give generously again. See, it comes down to faith. There is no limiting resource when it comes to God. There is no reason that we should limit what we sow so that we sow sparingly. Our Heavenly Father will always provide what we need. And so we have every reason to sow generously. And so we give and he multiplies our seed for sowing. You know, sometimes I think that that what holds us back from giving is a virtue that we might have had instilled into us of of, um, self-sufficiency. Most of us see that as a really important virtue, self-sufficiency. And we have that that ingrained into us that if I'm not self-sufficient, that I'm I'm a blight on society. But the picture that we're getting here isn't about self-sufficiency. It's about God's sufficiency. It's, It's not about trusting in ourselves and our own ability to provide for ourselves. It's about trusting in God and God's ability to provide for us. And some of us might feel that, well, I'm enough. I am enough and I have enough to provide for my own needs. Well, I feel sorry for you. Because you're not experiencing God providing for your needs. And this is so common for us here in Australia. We have things so good. We don't need to trust in God to provide our needs. At least that's how we feel. And so sometimes I think we really miss out. Those who have plenty don't get to experience God supplying their needs until they give. Right. So if the prosperity preachers are so wrong, 
And the reward for giving isn't about getting more in return. Is there a reward for giving? Well, actually, yes, there is. Don't get me wrong. Giving isn't an easy thing. And giving willingly and giving joyfully isn't necessarily because we hate having money or because we don't want anything. In fact, verse 13 tells us that it's an act of submission. Paul says that it's an act of submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Hey, Tying ourselves to Christ, embracing Christ, acknowledging that Christ is Lord, actually demands our submission. We submit our everything to him. And when other disciples of Jesus benefit from this act of submission, do you know what happens? They give thanks to God and they glorify God because they know that it's God who is providing for their needs. He just chooses to do it through us. You understand this, don't you? When we give to to help supply somebody else's needs, They're not supposed to go, oh, you are so wonderful. They're supposed to recognise that this is coming from God because everything we have, we've already given it to God. And he says here, they long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Isn't that wonderful? There have been times when a a few people who who I I didn't even know, but they'd been listening to the Bush Disciples podcast and they really appreciated the ministry that's happening out here and the Bible teaching that they've been getting and they just started donating money to support this ministry and this ministry wouldn't survive unless this was happening. Now, these were people that I'd never met. You know what? What Paul's talking about here, this is how I felt. I saw these donations coming in. I didn't know who they were. And I just longed to meet them. I want to meet you. I want to know you. I want to know what what God's been doing in your life. What's God been doing that he's moved you to do this? And I wanted to know your needs. I want to know what your needs are so that I can pray for you too. And this is the sort of relationship that Paul's describing here when he says, you know, when you give to these people, they, they long for you and they pray for you. And you know what, down the track, I did actually get to meet some of these people. And when I met them in person, it was, it was an absolute delight. Right, it's time to finish up and I don't think I'll do it any different to how Paul finished up. Paul always brings everything back to Christ. Verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, this is, this is what 
the giver has in common with the receiver. We are both recipients of the grace of Christ. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Inexpressible. Have you thought about that? What words could we use to praise God? What gift could we ever give in return for what Christ has done for us? How could we ever repay him? Not even our words are good enough to describe how wondrous the gift of Christ is. We owe him our everything. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When the giver is giving, that can be our attitude. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When the, when the receiver is receiving, this can be their attitude. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Because we're both thankful to God for Christ. So giving in faith, God provides through the giver and God provides for the giver. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have been so gracious to us. You've been so merciful to us. You, you, we, you have given us everything that we need. And Lord, as I think, I, I think of some very generous people who I know, but I cannot think of anybody who didn't have what they needed, even though they'd been so generous. I can't think of a one. And so, Lord, I want to thank you that, that you give us seed to sow. And, Lord, I want to confess that, Lord, that I've been one who has sown sparingly. You have given me plenty to share with others, and I haven't. And, Lord, please forgive me for that. And, Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to remember that we have already given everything we have over to you. We submit everything to you. And Lord, give us, give us hearts of generosity so that when it says there that let each one give us according to as he, how he has decided in his heart, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us at heart level. And at times our heart is going to have to override our heads so that we can be the generous people that you want us to be. And Lord, whether we're giving or whether we're receiving, we proclaim thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.